I, I know you're a babysitter, but get off of me. <laughs> True story. <laughs> All right, everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Screen Fix, the show where we will fix a recent film. Judging from that joke, that intro, we're going to be talking about babysitters. And who's the most famous babysitter killer of them all? Michael Myers. Michael Myers. I'm JC, your host. With me, as always, is the co-host, Cares the Show. Say hi to everybody, Lady Wan. Hello there. How do you do with uh, with horror movies? I don't like them. <laughs> Why is that? I don't like being afraid. and It's not a fun feeling. I'd rather laugh. <laughs> Do you remember the first scary movie you ever saw? Yes. It wasn't the whole movie. It was just the shower scene from Psycho. Oh, Janet Lee getting stabbed. Uh-huh. And I think I was like nine. So that freaked me out a whole lot. And then I spent about the next 10 years showering with the curtain open. Oh, I bet your parents loved the, the puddles all over the bathroom floor. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They weren't super excited about that, and I would just tell them, like, oh, gosh, I don't know what happened. Weird. <laughs> what is this, Lady Wan? Because your parents called you Lady Wan. Yes, of course, and I was, like, 10 years old, totally. The first movie that, like, really scared the crap out of me was uh, actually a family film. It was Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory, the one with Ooh. Gene Wilder. There's that one scene when he's in that tunnel and they're in that boat. Mm -hmm. It gets more and more like manic. Are the fires of hell a glowing? Is the grizzly reaper mowing? Yes! The danger must be growing for the rowers keep on rowing and they're certainly not showing any signs that they are slowing! so intense you see a, a chicken get its head cut off <laughs> you see a spider on someone's face no. it's frightening <laughs> that movie scared the crap out of me that'll do it i didn't really get into horror until high school uh me and a friend of mine he's actually been on the show once uh mick mike oh me and mick mike we were high school friends and we got on this horror kick we were watching all these horror films and we watched them until my stepdad started recommending ones that were like so gross and like perverse Ew. that we felt like morally weird and oh, icky. No. <laughs> yeah, and <laughs> fucking stepdads, man. <laughs> He's not my kid. I'll show him the. I'll recommend the really weird shit. It's probably already messed up. Right? He's like, whatever. <laughs> I can't mess them up more. Mm -mm, not my problem. <laughs> so awful. Anyway, the horror movie that we're talking about today is, of course, the sequel, direct sequel, to the original Halloween. This one also called Halloween. Drop that trailer like it's hot. Boom. Everyone in my family like turns into a nutcase this time of year. Yeah, I mean, your grandmother is Lori Strode. She was almost murdered. Wasn't it her brother? Who murdered all those babysitters? No, it was not her brother. That's something that people made up. Do you know that I pray every night that he would escape? Who the hell did you do that for? So I can kill him. The bus crashed. Mom, what bus crashed? Michael escaped. I just waited for this night. He's waited for me. 
I've waited for him. You don't believe in the boogeyman? He's here! Michael! You should. Okay, so this is the 11th Halloween film in the series <laughs> about our Shatner mask-clad killer, Mike Myers. In a series that has already exhausted every possible take on the story. Like, Michael has been Laurie's brother. Laurie has been killed. Laurie has had a psychotic, murderous daughter. Michael has been part of a Celtic rune cult. They've ignored the rune cult sequels. <laughs> They've brought Laurie back. They've given her a son. She's killed herself. They've let the writer of Dawson's Creek have a crack at it. They've <laughs> rebooted the whole series with Rob Zombie. The series has had Paul Rudd, Busta Rhymes, Tyra Banks, Josh Hartnett, LL Cool J, Michelle Williams, Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Of course, those were all when they were like trying to hip Halloween movies in like the late 90s, early 2000s with, Mm -hmm. you know, fresh, fresh cast. And then they would just throw Jamie Lee Curtis in there. Paul Rudd, unfortunately, is part of the Celtic Rune sequels. (laughs) And he plays grown up Tommy was only eight years old when I saw him, but I was one of the lucky ones. I survived. Michael's work isn't done in Haddonfield. And soon, very soon, he'll come home to kill again. But this time I'll be ready. That's crazy. But we finally get this one. Here we are with Halloween, which is essentially Halloween 2, but the third Halloween 2. <laughs> it's So it's the third Halloween 2, and how many of these movies are just called Halloween? Like four? There's at least three that are just, that are just <laughs> like, called Halloween. You can't keep turning in the same paper. Like, I don't understand that. No, but there is Halloween with, with like every word under it. Halloween resurrection. Halloween return of mike myers there's probably like annihilation mike myers infatuation mike myers (laughs) just every subtitle and then there's the horrible one halloween h2o because in the 90s they were doing that stupid stuff with movies like id4 for independence day whatever that was cool i was into id4 (laughs) they're doing these awful titles they're just throwing numbers in with letters and it's all because of y2k right (laughs) i blame blame y2k the y2k hysteria so this time around halloween is directed by david gordon green and written by green jeff radley and danny mcbride david gordon green director of stoner comedies pineapple express and your highness and green and mcbride together are part of the team behind hbo's eastbound and down so we're getting very different sensibilities here yeah for this one a little bit of edge a little bit of crass humor perhaps bro comedy Bro comedy for sure. (laughs) So Danny McBride said about this movie that the film still pays tribute to the other follow-ups despite sharing no direct continuity. So this one takes place directly after the events of the very first Halloween movie from 1978. Mm -hmm. McBride said about that, quote, You know, like there's so many different versions and the timeline is so mixed up. We just thought it would be easier to go back to the source and continue from there. It was nicer than knowing you're working a Halloween 11. It just seemed cooler. We're making Halloween 2. <laughs> and of course, it's Halloween 2 for the third time, though. It's still not as cool as he thinks it is. But uh, 
He also detailed uh, his approach to the character of Mike Myers. He said, quote, I think we're just trying to take it back to what was so good about the original. It was just very simple and just achieved that level of horror that wasn't turning Michael Myers into some being that couldn't be killed. I want to be scared by something that I really think could happen. I think it's much more horrifying to be scared by someone standing in the shadows while you're taking out the trash. True. Yeah, that's scary. I like that you keep saying Mike Myers. Like, it's uh, Star of Shrek murdering all these people. (laughs) I'm an ogre! I do keep saying Mike Myers. You're on like a nickname basis. It's cool. Carry oh, on. Oh, yeah. Me and, me and Mike. <laughs> I know him back when I used to go door to door selling knives. He was a good customer. <laughs> stupid. No small talk with that guy. No. <laughs> Sorry, I'm laughing at how stupid that was. Carry on. So McBride tried to do something different by doing something that was the same. So what did audiences think about that, Lady Juan? Why don't you get at us with those fresh hot stats? So this movie is 79% fresh, according to Critic, and 76% of audiences like it. So that's pretty good. The original is 95% fresh, and literally every single other iteration of Halloween is like hardcore rotten. (laughs) The worst is Halloween, The Curse of Michael Myers, which is Halloween 6. (laughs) That is 6%. Did you know it could go to single digits? No, but I like that Halloween 6 is 6% (laughs) fresh. Uh Uh-huh. That's real bad. Oh, man. Okay, so no hallowed ground here. These movies are all pretty much hot garbage, except for the original and apparently this one, which is Halloween 2, 3. (laughs) All right, so audiences like it. Did they throw down their their hard-earned money for it? Oh my gosh, they did. This movie made $76 million its first weekend. It came in at number one in the U.S. It dethroned Venom. Oh, also available in the Screen Fix catalog. So Halloween is up to 126 million domestic, plus another 45 million overseas. So it has made 172 million dollars with a production budget of 10 million dollars. Wow, on the cheap. Yeah. Adjusted for inflation, this is the second highest-grossing Halloween movie in the series. It's only beaten by the first one, and you know that's because of 78 dollars. I also read that it is the highest-grossing R-rated slasher film ever at this point. It has the biggest. Opening weekend for a horror movie with a female lead. It has the biggest opening weekend for a female lead over the age of 55, any kind of movie. Go Jamie Lee. Yes. It's the biggest opening of any Halloween movie, obviously, in the franchise. And it's the second biggest movie opening in October ever behind Venom. I feel like saying behind Venom ruins it. (laughs) This is supposed to be a huge October, a record-breaking October. Yeah, this is a big deal. People are running out to see these movies. Nobody wants to talk to their friends. Everyone wants to sit in silence. (laughs) (laughs) Some places are still hot. Some places are getting cold. Nobody knows what to do. Let's go see a movie. Okay, before we just get down to fixing, why don't I go ahead and give a brief summary of this thing. Do it to it. We like to get these from themoviespoiler.com. This spoiler was submitted by Jeremy. What? Where's Movie Pooper? Movie Pooper does the abridged version. Oh. Yeah. Oh, okay. So this is going to be yeah. a long one. Thanks, He Jeremy. likes to wipe off the excess. I really prefer the short version. So. <laughs> okay, here we go. So the film opens at Smith's Grove sanitarium there are two podcasters there aaron and dana and they arrive to meet dr sartain who is michael myers's new doctor uh dr loomis is no longer with us uh the actor who played him 
in nearly every film, Donald Pleasance. That poor guy was dragged through so many of these terrible Halloween films, always just telling anybody that would listen, he's pure evil. <laughs> I realized that what was living behind that boy's eyes was purely and simply evil. Death has come to your little town, Sheriff. I prayed that he would burn in hell, but I knew that hell would not have him. It grew inside him, contaminating his soul. It was pure evil. Every movie. Aww. Now we've got this new doctor, Sartain, who is a protege of Dr. Loomis. Aaron and Dana, these podcasters, they come there to confront Michael Myers with the mask. They're like, this is going to make him talk. He's never spoken. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> it does nothing. They leave. So back on the outskirts of Haddonfield, the two podcasters, Aaron and Dana, they go to the home of Lori Strode, who now lives in this murder bunker out in the woods. <laughs> so ever since she survived the events of the first Halloween, she's been prepping herself with guns and she's got all these security measures in her house. She's been super paranoid and a super prepper and that has basically destroyed her relationship with her daughter Karen, played by Judy Greer. So they are there because they want Lori to meet with Michael face to face. Lori, we saw him. We met with Michael. I showed him the mask. It was nothing. No response. Nothing. He won't talk to anyone. Never has, but I think he might speak with you. They say it's to uh, free herself of her anger and what she's hanging on to. Lori's like, forget this, podcasters. Get the hell out of here and give me the three grand. Thank you. Yeah. What kind of podcasters have three grand? <laughs> 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 That's really funny. <laughs> no podcasters have three grand just laying around no way. to be given people. Impossible. They ain't cereal, you know? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we meet up with Karen and her husband Ray and her daughter Allison. So Lori Schroed's granddaughter. Uh Allison wants Karen to invite Lori to an upcoming family thing. Uh Karen doesn't want to. So Allison then goes to school, and that's where we meet her friends, Vicky and Dave. She also meets up with her boyfriend, Cameron, and his pal, Oscar. During class, Allison sees Lori outside. She goes out to talk to her grandmother, and she tells her she needs to get over Michael and move on because she's wrecking the family. The boogeyman, all this hiding, all this preparation, it was for nothing. I mean, it took priority over your family. It cost you your family. If the way I raised your mother means that she hates me, but that she's prepared, for the horrors of this world, then I can live with that. She goes home. She's going to shoot at some dummies now. And <laughs> uh, she learns that. That's how I unwind after a stressful family dinner. You go. <laughs> you sure. go. <laughs> I just go fire shotguns at mannequins in the woods. But well, first she had a glass of red wine. Then she was shooting at mannequins. That's that's how I that like sounds do safe. It. <laughs> hey, I've done worse things after a glass of wine. With a mannequin? Uh, Yeah, with uh. With a mannequin. Um, I have some I have some problems. <laughs> <laughs> Moving on. The bus, uh, there's a father and his son who are driving together, and they come across the prison bus crash, and there's inmates walking around. The father goes out to check it out. Michael Myers, of course, kills the father, kills the kid, but not before. The kid shoots Dr. Sartain. <laughs> he's still, yeah, I forgot he's, about that. He's still, that kid yeah, totally shoots yeah. him. He's still alive, though. <laughs> 
That kid is like, oh, shoot, and runs away from them. Bam. He just shot. Shoots one of our main characters. <laughs> oh, yeah. So it's Halloween now, of course, because that's how these movies go. And <laughs> uh, Aaron and Dana are heading out of town, but the two of them stop at a gas station. Michael Myers shows up. He kills the attendant by ripping his mouth off. Then he goes into the bathroom. He kills... Aaron by slamming his head against the door of the stall and then Michael Myers takes teeth freaks out Dana also kills Dana and now he goes and he's got his mask back that's what he wanted he's got some sweet coveralls and he's gained himself some sweet coveralls Lori now hears about the bus crash <laughs> I cannot say bus crash it's really hard to say R- Rory now I can't say anything okay <laughs> Lori hears about this bus crash and she goes straight to Karen's house, breaks in and says, your security sucks. Now children are around trick-or-treating in Haddonfield. Michael is walking around with them. He enters a house where he bludgeons a lady with a hammer and then he gets a knife. Then he finds another woman in the house, stabs her through the throat. Vicky, Allison's friend Vicky, is babysitting a young boy named Julian, played by a, a young actor named Jabrail Namtambu. Maybe the funniest, best part of this whole movie. Oh, for sure. That kid's the best. And definitely dialogue written by Danny McBride. I feel like <laughs> that's what it's like to babysit Danny McBride. Yeah. If I had some other kind of babysitter, she'd be reading me a story. I wouldn't be up clipping my nasty-ass toenails. So Vicky tucks Julian in, into bed. Dave shows up. He's got the weed. And then... The Alakazam. <laughs> and then... Uh, oh, that's right. Doesn't she like cover it up by saying the Alakazam? Yeah. And Julian's like, no, I know you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Julian, <laughs> Julian's savvy. So Allison is at this party and she's there with her boyfriend, Cameron. They're dressed as a gender-swapped Bonnie and Clyde. And Allison catches Cameron kissing some girl. And then she confronts him. He's been drinking. And then he uh, says it was nothing with the girl. And he takes her phone and throws it into some pudding. Yeah. Yeah, take that. <laughs> take that galaxy note going in this vanilla pudding. Allison leaves the party. Cameron's friend Oscar follows her like a puppy dog. Back at the uh, house, Vicky and Dave start to hook up. But they hear someone coming from upstairs. Julian runs down. It's like, Vicky, I saw a man walking around the house vicky goes in the room she looks in the closet pretends that there's somebody there to scare julian but then michael myers is actually in there stabs her julian just runs the heck out of that (laughs) out of that house julian's smart dave grabs a knife to find out what's going on uh and instead he uh he gets impaled against a wall so the cop there's this cop character hawkins who arrives at the house and finds vicky's body and of course, Dave, with his impaled head, Sartain, the doctor, shows up. Lori also shows up. She's been looking around for Michael. And uh, Sartain goes with Hawkins while Lori tries to get in touch with Allison. She brings Karen and Ray to her uh, murder bunker where they will hide mm-hmm. until Michael shows up. So, of course, Allison and Oscar are walking together. He tries to kiss her. She's like, get away from me, dude. You know, he kind of looks like the meme of the dude in the audience who's like shocked. <laughs> the shocked guy. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yes, he, he does. He kind of looks like he that really shocked guy viral viral video. Yeah. Oh, my God. That GIF. Anyway, she's like, don't kiss me, GIF, GIF guy. And she takes off. He is standing there. He's like, I'm sorry. Oh. And then Mike Myers shows up in this really tense scene where there's a 
motion sensor light motion that keeps sensor. turning on and off. He gets killed. He gets impaled on a fence. Allison sees it. She runs. She's like, ah. She runs to a house. The cop, Hawkins, shows up. Allison tells him that Michael Myers is around. Allison is with Sertan, the doctor, and with Hawkins. They find Michael, and they ram him with a car. Sartan gets out, and he's hovering over Michael's body. Uh, Hawkins is going to arrest him. And then Sartan, there's this twist where he stabs the cop. He says that he orchestrated the whole thing with Michael getting out. He needs to know what happens when Michael runs into Laurie Strode. He needs to see this. So he drives like all the way to Laurie's house with Michael. Michael wakes up and stomps Sartain's head. (laughs) Stomps his head, just blows it up. Uh, Allison runs and she's now at her grandmother's murder house with her mom and Ray. And essentially, Karen and Allison hide in this basement that is covered from a, a, a mechanized kitchen island. Michael's here. Get downstairs. Go, baby, go! Lori walks around the house with a shotgun, stalking Michael, shutting off different rooms that she's built crazy cage doors into mm-hmm. to seal yeah. him in rooms or keep him out or something but he ends up getting the jump on her she goes flying mm-hmm. off of a balcony in a reversal of the original where mike myers goes flying off the balcony and just like him she disappears when he looks for her down there but now he's downstairs he's ripping the kitchen island off because he knows they're down there for some reason and karen Lori's daughter fakes like she's too scared to shoot him so he reveals himself and she of course shoots him in the face And then you see that Lori has rigged her entire house with gas and fire. She sets the whole place on fire. Mike Myers, supposedly he's dead, burnt up. Trapped in the basement. Trapped in the basement. They jump in the back of a truck. They're going down the highway. End. Yep. And that's our our movie. Next time I'm using movie pooper again. He's shorter. I love movie pooper. Jeremy's a bit wordy. So we realize that a lot of people work on movies. Before we just fix movies, we do like to pay homage to these people that have worked on this movie, give them their kudos, their props. What is one thing you liked about this movie, Lady One? So despite not being a big time horror movie fan, I was immediately excited to see the original font style in the opening credits. Yeah. And it just puts you right back and like, this is going to be an old school slasher movie that's what we're doing. That's where we're going. So I was excited about that off the bat. And just in general, I think it was pretty cool that Jamie Lee Curtis is still like really important to this movie. Like she's 59. I wouldn't be surprised if the studio was like, and we've had enough of her. So I was uh, happy to see that too. I appreciated that they just wanted to get rid of all the nonsense that came before and that they just wanted to make a good old slasher movie. Like, not making him supernatural and all that stuff. Uh, I did appreciate that they wanted to scale it back. It's funny. I simultaneously liked (laughs) things that sounded like the crass humor of Danny McBride and and David Gordon Green. I thought it really worked for, like, Julian, the little kid. But then Mm -hmm. I thought it sounded really bad when they put it in the mouth of Oscar when he was being killed. It was really awkward coming out of him. Like I called it earlier, it's just bro comedy. And I'm like, I'm not surprised at seeing a 17-year-old boy be kind of crass and rude. But like a nine-year-old kid talking about his nasty-ass toenails is hilarious. Yeah, Yeah, you're right. Like there's got to be a dichotomy to it. All right, but without further ado, what do you say we fix this movie? Okay. Let's do it. (laughs) 
Lady Wan, why don't you lay on us your first fix, your slasher fix. Do it. We have to talk about these podcasters. Oh, no. (laughs) So I hated them. I hated them. And I feel like that was intentional is look how annoying podcasters are. And I'm trying not to take it personally, but really they have a hit podcast and they want to go interview this guy who hasn't spoken in over 40 years. Like, no, I'm rejecting this. I'm also rejecting the whole idea that because they have a podcast, they have access to evidence from the DA's office. They have his mask just like chilling in an evidence box in the back of their truck. They just have a friend in the DA like. Yeah, they just they know a guy. They just they have this access to the mask. They have the access to him. And again, like the situation of the movie, they're transferring him at night in a van on October 30th. This is like a super great plan. I know that it has to happen at Halloween, but I need it to be intentionally done tying all of this stuff together. So instead of them being podcasters, I want her to actually work in the DA's office. That's why they have the mask. That's why they have access to visit him in the facility is because she actually works for the state. And he is a gross, annoying documentary maker who's trying to make the next Making a Murderer. Like, he wants to be hugely famous. And so does she. She's like, yep, I'm in for this. I don't want to work at the DA's office. I want to become, like, a talking head, Nancy Grace kind of lady. I want to be famous. Are they dating? Um, She thinks it's more serious than he does. (laughs) (laughs) She's just like, when am I going to see you again? He's like, next murder, babe. Just like <laughs> takes off as he's putting on his shirt. Call me. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's the vibe with the two of them. And that's why they're moving him on October 30th is because they're trying to stir some stuff up. That's why they're bringing him the mask. Like this isn't just all weird coincidences. This is intentional. They're bad people. They're only out for themselves. And therefore, it's totally cool that they get brutally murdered. <laughs> Mere minutes after we meet them. Was that basically like the filmmaker's opinion of podcasters? I feel like it was. And it hurt my feelings. I work really hard at this. Everybody has a podcast. (laughs) No, for real though. Everybody has a podcast. Yeah, like uh, my friend's son came up to me last time I was there. And like his kid was like, hey, can I interview you for my podcast? (laughs) You're like, yeah, dude, got a cross promo. (laughs) Can I get some cross promo, little bro? (laughs) How many listeners you got? Uh, a couple people in my second grade class. Uh, <laughs> my grandma. What do you podcast about? Uh, mostly we critique the cafeteria lunch food and I'm doing an expose because I'm pretty sure the chicken patty and the fish patty are the same thing. <laughs> I believe that. I'll listen to that podcast. Sadly, I'd listen to that too. <laughs> What's your first fix? My first fix is I want him to continue his desire to kill babysitters. Oh. 1978's Halloween was originally called The Babysitter Murders when it was written. So I think in our movie, I think in the present day in Haddonfield and in the media, the incident should be known as The Babysitter Murders. And in the first Halloween, he only kills a mechanic for his clothes and four teens, uh, two babysitters and their boyfriends that are there with them when they're babysitting. Mm -hmm. So that's it. He kills five people. And the only one who kills who's not a babysitter or associated with a babysitter was the the mechanic. And he needed those clothes. 
in this movie, we've got him killing all kinds of people. We have him just randomly bludgeoning ladies in houses, uh, randomly stabbing other ladies. We've got him ripping gas station attendants' mouths out. We've got him killing, <laughs> killing podcasters, killing uh, high school kids, killing a dad and his little kid in a truck, stomping that one doctor's head in. Like he's just, <laughs> he's just killing. Whereas. In the first movie, Michael kills Lori's friends because they were all babysitting and reminded him of his sister, who he murdered while babysitting him and neglecting him to have sex. He even put his sister's headstone over one of the girls that he murders, just kind of hammering that point home. Right. Mike Myers doesn't care about Lori Strode, other than she is a young girl and babysitting. And that's actually the problem that Carpenter had writing Halloween 2. And the same problem that these writers have on their hands here. Halloween 2 is basically the film nobody wanted to make except the producer. So we get a forced familial connection. Uh, just a year after Empire Strikes Back does that. <laughs> Carpenter describes that his writing of the screenplay, quote, mainly dealt with a lot of beer, sitting in front of a typewriter saying, what the fuck am I doing? I don't know. <laughs> in another quote that I, I don't have in front of me to read verbatim, but he said that the Halloween 2 script was the result of him having to tell more story of a story he thought was finished. And yeah. not a good place to start. He had to force some connection to get Michael Myers and Laurie Strode together again. The reason why it doesn't work as well is like when you give him a, a motive like that, when you give him a motive to go after one person, you take away the senseless randomness of it all, which is what makes it truly terrifying. I mean, he's he's supposed to be the guy killing rando young female babysitters, any babysitter at all. I mean, in Halloween 1, Lori's dad is just a realtor who's showing the condemned Michael Myers place because 15 years later, it's still sitting there abandoned because houses in nice looking neighborhoods just sit there for 15 years. I mean, if if nobody bought murder houses, there'd be empty homes all over the place. <laughs> I mean, Nicolas Cage bought the, the Lollerie mansion. Yeah. So people people buy murder houses <laughs> all the time, man. But anyway, he only picked her and the, and the little boy Tommy and Lori's friends because Lori's dad sends her to the Myers house to drop off a key, and he's just there. They have no other connection to him other than being in the wrong place at the wrong time. So these writers have that same problem where they have to force some kind of meeting, and the writers here contrive it with that twist where the doctor who murders the cop because he wants to see what happens when Mike and Lori are put together. And that, to me, that was the biggest groan for me when I was watching the movie. They're stretching so hard to get Michael to Lori's murder bunker house. <laughs> and I think Michael just should have stayed in Haddonfield and stalked Allison and, and her friends. But again, out of randomness. And I feel like yeah. not just murdering random people either. I, I feel like he should still be driven by his established motive of targeting babysitters like his neglective sister and those other people 15 years ago. I thought the lengths they had to go to get Michael out to Lori's house really hurt the movie. I thought they should have brought Lori to him. And I'll address that in my next fix. Oh. All right, Lady One, what's uh, what's your next fix? Okay, so Allison and her boyfriend Cameron go to the dance together on Halloween as a gender-swapped Bonnie and Clyde. Cameron kind of sucks. He gets drunk at the dance and then kisses some girl dressed up as a tiger, like in front of everybody. Clearly is not caring about 
what he's doing right now. Allison sees him. She gets mad. And instead of, like, running over and be like, oh, no, no, that I, I'm sorry. He's like, you didn't see anything. It doesn't matter. It's whatever. Like, he, he doubles down on being a dick. Yeah. So... So I'm not not a big fan of Cameron. And then he takes Allison's phone and, as you said, throws it in the giant pudding bowl at the high school dance. Yeah, you know. Because all the high school dances that I went to had giant bowls of pudding. Yeah. High school sponsored by Jello. And this was vanilla pudding. Like, yeah. who, who eats vanilla pudding? Literally no one. That's why the whole bowl was full. <laughs> There's actually an empty bowl next to it. That was where the <laughs> chocolate pudding was. Oh, that's gone. That's delicious. <laughs> She doesn't even grab the phone back out because she's so repulsed that it's vanilla pudding. She'd rather just leave the phone there. She's like, oh, vanilla pudding? No, I don't want this phone anymore. <laughs> right. So so that's the end of uh, Cameron and Allison's relationship, we assume. And that's why she has no phone and why they can't call her to warn her that Michael Myers is out on the loose. So Cameron is basically a plot device so that Allison doesn't have a cell phone. Yeah, terrible that's just that's lame writing like you can make him a bad boyfriend like don't just have him disappear from the movie in you know the middle of it right when the action's starting he's just he's just gone he disappears completely yeah and he has like a good night probably he got a buzz he's probably gonna go back to that tiger girl tiger girl (laughs) he had a nice halloween (laughs) yeah probably everything worked out for this guy like there's no way in the grand scheme of things, Allison the next day is going to be like, yeah, I got to get Cameron to buy me a new phone. Like, she's just survived a murder attack. Like, I don't know what you call it. Her phone being replaced is low on the list. So Cameron got away with one there. But I don't like this. So my fix is not to have Cameron disappear from the movie at that high school dance. The plan was to go back to the house where Vicky was babysitting. And that's what he was supposed to be doing that night had he not, you know cheated on Allison and ruined her phone so how about he's drunkenly is gonna stumble over to that house because that's what he was supposed to do that night anyway and by the time he gets there Vicky and Dave have been murdered and he can discover the bodies in the house instead of the sheriff discovering them and uh when he gets there Michael Myers is still there and he has to run away afraid of him and has to try and escape while he's wearing heels Dressed as <laughs> Bonnie. <laughs> He's running in heels and it yes. gets him killed. It gets him stabbed. Mm-hmm. He is drunk running in heels, and that's just no way to go about things. The best would be if he's running in heels and he kicks one off, and then when Mike Myers catches up to him, he he has the shoe and puts it in his eye. Oh, that would be good. <laughs> yeah. Sold. JC. Yeah. You teased this fix. I did tease it, and now I'm ready to put out. Oh my god. <laughs> so this next fix, I think, is gonna change this whole movie. What? Yeah. <laughs> so I've said before that I don't want some contrived reason for Mike Myers to be after Laurie Strode or somehow getting Mike Myers to where Laurie Strode is out in the woods. I think it's Laurie who comes to him. I think he he returns to Haddonfield. She knows his MO. She's after him in the suburbs, on the streets. She's a badass hunter. And she doesn't have no pistol like Loomis. She's got a sawed-off shotgun. She's got a damn machete on her back. 
She's ready to hunt. Fueled by red wine. Fueled by red wine. And she's got one of those hats with the straw and she's red whining. She's fueled. All right. Maybe not the hat, but she definitely chugs a bottle of a nice Grenache before running out to... (laughs) Before heading out to take him down. So she was there those 40 years ago and she's I'm sure she's read up on it and studied it. She understands that Michael had returned to Haddonfield and had fixated on her and her friends. Like she rem- she remembered seeing him behind bushes staring at them, standing between her clotheslines, right? Like he wasn't running around just beating random people in the head and ripping off faces and, and stuff. He had picked someone similar to his sister and had fixated on her and her friends. So I would make Michael return and slowly fixate on Allison's friend Vicky, who is the one babysitting on Halloween night. He's just after these girls that remind him of his sister. So I also think as much as I love Judy Greer, I thought her character was a bit uh, extraneous and she suddenly goes from despising her mother to utilizing tactics she learned. I thought she should have been antagonistic the entire time. I thought that Mm -hmm. Lori's daughter and law enforcement should all be working against Lori, who is armed to the nines to take down Michael. Right. Like the cops are trying to find Lori too. They think that she's crazy and she's running around with firearms. Maybe there are scenes where Lori has to escape from cop cars. She's hiding in the shadows. She's in stalker mode, right? Yes. And she's also on the radar of law enforcement. Her granddaughter, Allison's the only one who gets it. And she makes it known to her grandmother that someone has been spying on her and her friends. And her mom, Karen, Judy Greer, of course, thinks that it's her grandmother filling her head with stories and she's not really seeing anything. Um, so I need some babysitters. And we've got Vicky babysitting. <laughs> <laughs> True. So I've got Vicky... <laughs> For myself in life. <laughs> so I've got Vicky, who's a babysitter. Maybe I'll do a little bit of a gender swap since we like the gender swapping. I'll also have sure. Oscar be babysitting as well. Yeah. So so I've got Oscar babysitting, Vicky babysitting. Vicky's boyfriend, Dave, is, of course, coming over with some weed. And after Allison gets cheated on, Allison goes to where Oscar's babysitting. That's, of course, where where that thing plays out, where Allison tells him that Cameron cheated and Oscar can still do that thing where he tries to kiss her. He can still die with a with a motion light because that was that was really cool. I actually really liked that scene a lot. Yeah, that was super cool. But Mike Myers, of course, sees them through the window. He sees the situation where someone's babysitting. So he goes inside. And of course, Allison's in there. But Allison ends up getting away. Oscar ends up getting killed. Lori finds Allison, who is running home. Mm-hmm. Allison tells Lori about Oscar and about Vicky, that Vicky's babysitting too. Uh-oh. This triggers Lori, and they go to find Oscar dead. Then she needs to go check out Vicky. They arrive while Michael is there to kill Vicky, but this time it's not in a house. It's in an apartment building, which is interesting because Ooh. John Carpenter, when he originally went to write Halloween 2, he wanted it to take place in an apartment building. And he ends it up oh. going with a, a hospital. So let's go ahead and use some of that stuff that Carpenter wanted. Mm-hmm. It's a new, beautiful, state-of-the-art building. Lori hits the fire alarm to send people leaving the building, and she heads to Vicky's, and the fight ensues. I want Lori to die heroically, setting the building on fire, and then getting Allison, Vicky, and the kid who's being babysat out. So Lori dies. But Allison is not done. She's our movie's final girl, that old trope. She waits for Michael outside the building. 
She can't find him, but then he emerges all burnt from the back of an ambulance and she takes him out in one final confrontation. That's how I would have done Halloween. Boom. I love it. You like Lori as a huntress? Yeah. I want her driving around in that pickup truck with like a bed full of shotguns. That's awesome. Yeah. And Activia. In the cup holder. Gotta say regular when you're, <laughs> when you're, when you're hunting down killers. Mm-hmm. It's very important. You don't want to trace that gun on them. And before your final one-liner, you don't want to be like... <laughs> Michael finally utters a word. Stank. <laughs> Do you have a final thought, Lady Juan, about Halloween? I do. So, as I was enjoying the opening credits, as I mentioned, with the uh, cool throwback font, I noticed that Toby Huss was in the credits. Yeah. And uh, I only know Toby Huss for one thing, and that's for being Artie, the strongest man in the world, from Pete and Pete. Oh, from Pete yes! and Pete. Yes, I was so excited. <laughs> when I saw his name come up, I was like, oh, man, like, I wonder if I'm going to know who he is. You know, like, he could have been, like, some inmate. I don't know. Like, I don't know if I'm going to recognize him. And then he is Karen's husband. And I was like, oh. Oh my gosh, that's him. Like yeah. And he gets peanut butter on his penis. Yeah, that's that might be his first line in the movie. <laughs> it's weird, man. Um cool. but I was super excited to see him in this movie. That was like a cool moment for me. Do you have a final thought, JC? Yeah, I have I have a final fact, I guess. Mm-hmm. So Nick Castle, who played the original Michael Myers, mm-hmm. uh, did all the ADR breathing. <laughs> In the new one, he did all. So, yeah, that's very interesting. So all of the... <laughs> was, was it new breathing? It's not like vintage breathing? No, this is brand new breath. Wow. This is 70-year-old se- <laughs> Nick Castle breath. <laughs> oh, wow. I guess, yeah, it yeah. needs to be authentic. He's pretty old, so... No kidding. And he actually does get one brief cameo, for the most part... An actor named James Jude Courtney actually is the one who's in the mask and the jumpsuit almost the entire movie. Castle just has one scene in Halloween. It's just a scene where they wanted him to do the head tilt like he did <gasps> in the in the first Halloween when he impales the uh, the one boyfriend against the wall and then he kind of just does this head tilt where he just kind of looks the kid the kid over. Nick Castle got to do that again. Oh, that's scary. And he actually said about being on the set, he said, quote, being on the set the first day, as a matter of fact, she, Jamie Lee Curtis, noticed me walking across the place where we were shooting and yelled at me, Castle, ran over and gave me a big hug and said, is this nuts or what? That's how we addressed it in the crazy way that life works and the crazy way the motion picture business works, that's for sure. Not in the deep philosophical, psychological sense, but the weight of how ridiculous it is. (laughs) 40 years later, we're still doing this work, and it's somewhat of a mystery to us how this has sustained its interest in the things. (laughs) Yeah, so are we, kind of, with all those terrible sequels. Yeah, (laughs) he's like, man, why do you guys keep seeing this stuff? Why do you guys keep wanting to see the story of this guy that murdered four kids and a and a mechanic? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he's really like keeping it like grandpa style where he's like, What's wrong with you? Why do you like this? What's wrong with these kids? <laughs> Those slasher movies were nothing but TNA. Those kids are disgusting. Take me back to the days of Grace Kelly and Fred Astaire. That was the movies. 
But all right, I'll put this goddamn mask on one more time for these disgusting kids. <laughs> and all these people over the age of 50. Never left home, still living with mom. Eating TV dinners. Watching the late programs when they should be in bed getting up to go to a decent job. Stupid. I don't know if I'm going to keep any of that. <laughs> All right, well, that's it. Uh, without further ado, I mean, I guess we should consider this film. Screen 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 You can't see that I'm dancing, everybody at home. That's probably for the better. It's <laughs> awkward. That's not dancing. <laughs> Sorry, I got to work on my Charleston. <clears throat> anyway... Shut up, Nick Castle. <laughs> so I guess uh, why don't you why don't you send us home, Lady One? If you'd like to reach us here at the show, you can send an email to screenfixpod at gmail.com or you can tweet us or follow us on Instagram at screenfixpod. And we're also on Facebook as well, Screenfix Podcast. We post all those episodes there. You can listen to the show on Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, Libsyn, and of course, Apple Podcasts. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe so you never miss an episode and uh, leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear it. We also have a Patreon account where you can donate to the show if you like what you hear. We also have dreams of opening up a one-screen theater to be the home of podcasting and marathons and film festivals and all kinds of fun stuff. You can also catch us brand new on The Morning Noise with Doc Noise, W-M-A-Y, on Talk 94.7 and 970 AM. Illinois. We're coming for you, Haddonfield. (laughs) (laughs) So, all right, why don't we sign off with uh, a scene in the movie? Uh, You be Julian, I'll be Dave. (laughs) Let me be Julian. Yes. (laughs) Okay. I'll be Dave and I'll be Vicky. All right, ready? Go ahead. I saw someone in the hallway standing outside my door. What's up, buddy? There's a fucked up face watching me from the dark. Ghosts and goblins, little buddy? Shut up, Dave. I heard heavy breathing and then a thump. He's in there. The boogeyman's in my house. All right, come on. I got you. Let's check it out. Send Dave first. (laughs) 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 Julian is the best character in the whole movie. I love Julian. (laughs) Shut up, Dave. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so stay tuned for more Screen Fix. Next week, we will be fixing... Hunter Killer, if anybody sees it. Maybe Hunter Killer, maybe something else. Who's to say? But we'll let you know on Twitter. Yeah, we'll let you know on Twitter. So follow us there so you can follow along with Screen Fix. Yeah. Yeah. Bye, everybody. Bye.